why don't you take a seat? For those of you who I don't know, my name is Alex, and I'm a part of the team here at Coastal, and it's awesome to be able to be together for the first night of the whole entire year. We did it. Guys, we're here. It's 2023. I don't know about you, but um, the past week I've just been reflecting, and man, it has been a weird year. There are times where I just felt like the year was flying by, like I couldn't catch up, couldn't take a breath. But then I would turn around, there'd be another moment where I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this thing alive. This is the longest year of my life. I don't know. Let's just do a round of a show of hands. How many of you were like, man, it was a good year. It flew by. Let's see. Put them up. Okay. Couple, couple. How many of you were like, man, I can't believe it's here. We made it. How many of you are feeling that way tonight? Okay. We got a little bit of a mix. Regardless of your sentiment towards 2022, we did it. We are here. You have arrived. Now, some people really love the new year because it's a time to set resolutions. I don't know if you're a big resolution person, but it's a really good time to stop and pray for the new year, to set goals and hope that something great will come out of this year. But I really like the new year season because it's a really good time to reflect. And this past week when I was back in New Brunswick, I took a little bit of time to reflect. I had a really wonky year, a pretty crazy year. It's crazy to think that this time last year, I was just packing my car and getting ready to make my first trek down to the South Shore. That blows my mind. A year ago, I didn't know any of you. That is so wild. And a year ago, wait for this, we were still packing and tearing down and setting up church together. That is the craziest thought to me. I don't know about you, but today I'm super thankful for the space, for the, for the extra time on Sunday afternoons that we don't have to set up and tear down together. But it's been a year, a year of growing together, celebrating together, learning together, serving together, and I can confidently say that Coastal, you are my favorite part of 2022. It has been an honor but I do remember all the apprehensions I had before I came here. I was running on a lot of faith. I had heard great things about the Shelf Shore. I heard great things about the people and Coastal and your lobster. And I will admit, I still really hate lobster. (laughs) I can't do it. But despite the good things I heard, I was running on faith. I didn't really know what to expect. I talked to Jay a couple times and that was it. It was just me, my car, a five-hour drive, and a whole lot of faith. There was a lot of apprehensions. I remember thinking, in times of transition, it's really easy for insecurities to kind of find their way up to the surface. They kind of make themselves known again. And I remember asking myself questions like, what if I don't make friends? What if I can't keep up with the level of ministry that Coastal needs from me? What if, the worst of all, the family I'm living with thinks that I'm annoying? I don't know if they do, but you can pray that we, we're still together, so things must be going okay. But I had to trust that the Lord had something for me here. I think in seasons of transition, like a new year, or starting a new job, or moving, um, things come up to the surface, but I found myself taking this time to really go back to stories in the Bible that are comforting, stories that I enjoy, stories that are good reminders. And today we find ourselves in front of another transition. It's a new year, a new beginning, a new start. 
And maybe for you, 2022 was a great year, one that you wish that you could just rewind and start all over. For some of you, maybe 2022 was a year of complex emotions, maybe grief or discouragement, and I want you to know that that's okay. But today, I wanted to take you back to a story that I come to in moments of unknown. But I especially come back to this story in moments where I forget who I am. So today we're going to be camping out in the Old Testament. Woohoo, we love the Old Testament. We're going to be camping out in 2 Samuel chapter 9. But before we get there, I want to catch you up a little bit. There's a lot that's happened, and I don't want you to be confused. So we're actually going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 4. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we meet a little boy. Um, his name is Mephibosheth. And he's the son of Jonathan and the grandson of the king at the time. His name was Saul. And Mephibosheth is kind of introduced to us in what I would call a side note. In my Bible, he's actually, this verse is in parentheses. So it's just kind of thrown in there. Um, and this is what it says. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a young boy who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news of Saul and Jonathan's death had come from Jezreel. The nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and he became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So there's a lot happening already and we're not even in the, like, the right chapter yet. But Mephibosheth and the nurse were fleeing because there was a custom at the time that we need to pay attention to. So Jonathan and King Saul had just died. And that was the current king and the heir to the throne. And Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. So he was of royal descent. He probably was an heir to the throne. And in times like this where royalty would die and a new family was going to be stepping up, so King David, it was custom that people would go and kill the remainder of the family that was previously in reign. So that Mephibosheth, when he was 30, couldn't be like, hey guys, I'm actually King Saul's great-grandson. I really think that I should be king. That's what they were avoiding. They didn't want that to happen. So normally they would just go and kill all the family so that would never happen. So this is why she fled. She took him because she knew that he was in a sticky situation. His only chance of survival was if he just disappeared. But there was a little bit of a plot twist. They fell, and he broke both of his legs. And that wasn't just a quick fix. It was a lifetime of hurt, a lifetime of being crippled. So our story picks up in chapter 9, where we meet Mephibosheth again. But before that, King David was really good friends with Jonathan, Mephibosheth's dad. And a long time ago, he made a promise that he would show kindness to Jonathan's family after Jonathan died. So we're gonna, I'm going to read this to you. You can follow on the screen, but listen closely. Don't miss any of the good nuggets in here. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone left at the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's in the house of Machir, son of Amuel, in Lodabar. So King David brought him, 
had him brought up from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amuel. When Mephibosheth, son of David, the son of Saul, came to, came to King David, he bowed down to pay honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you might show kindness and notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul. I have given him everything, and you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. Side note, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands your servant to do. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Man, isn't that a great story? I love this story, and when I just look at it like this, plain and simple, there's so much happening. I can see redemption and reconciliation, restoration, hope, provision, and we could probably spend a couple weeks just on this story alone. But there's a couple things that I want us to take with us into this new year, a couple of simple truths, something that you can look back and reflect on as you navigate this new year. So my first thought is, your circumstances do not define your worth. I cannot imagine being in Mephibosheth's shoes. He was five years old when he left. He, he lost the most significant people in his life. And when someone was trying to preserve his life to save him, the unthinkable happened. He would have went from the grief of losing the two people he loved the most to the grief of processing what his life will now be like. He lost everything. He lost his home. He was being taken away. In a moment, it must have felt like everything changed. And I can't imagine all the what-ifs that would have followed him for the course of his life. The what if they never died? What if I could walk? What if I could provide? What if I could be happy? I can't imagine those things must have went through his head all the time. And even for the most optimistic of us in this room, if we were in the same situation, we probably would be facing the same questions as well. So this is my favorite part of the story. In chapter 9, which we just read, we learn that Mephibosheth now lives in a town called Lodabar. And if you take the name Lodabar to its English translation, this is what it means. These are the titles. No place. Nothing. Lowest place. Or even nothing town. Nothing town. It doesn't get worse than that. Mephibosheth lived in the lowest place, not only in moments of grief internally, but he literally led, lived and did his life in the lowest place. This land got its name because it wasn't able to produce enough crops to sustain itself. It wasn't even suitable for pasture. I don't know about you, but there's been times this past year where I found myself in my own little version of Lodabar, my own little nothing town, 
where I was processing things that I never have had to process before. And maybe you found yourself in your own little Lodabar this year, different seasons. That's okay. I know for myself, this year I processed grief for the first time, and not in the most traditional or conventional sense. No one around me passed, but over the past couple weeks and months, I've been trudging my way through grief, and I don't really like it here. I don't like that space. Grief feels a lot like a little Lodabar to me. I can imagine that Mephibosheth would have felt that way, especially when he would realize that his life was hidden and he was being hidden to preserve his life, but the life that he now had was only a shell of what it would have been had these things not happened to him. The second half of this story, we learned that although Mephibosheth's circumstances and the scenarios around him had seemingly robbed him of everything he had, he, had, he still had worth in the eyes of the king. So, no matter where you may find yourself today, whether you feel like you're on top of the world or maybe you found yourself in a little bit of a Lodabar, I want you to know that your worth isn't dictated by your current circumstances. So, my first thought for us tonight is that our circumstances don't define or dictate our worth. My second thought for us tonight is that there's always room for you at the table. In this story, years prior, Jonathan had a promise given to him by his friend David, the new king, that he would take care of his family, that he would show them kindness. What chapter 9 doesn't really dive into is that, well, he suffered a great deal under the hand of the reign of Saul. So if David wanted to conveniently forget his promise, people probably wouldn't have questioned him. They probably would have not even worried about it because he had a really good reason not to really care about Mephibosheth. Nobody would have blamed him, blamed him. But he loved his friend. David loved Jonathan, and he kept true to his word. He was true to his promise. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, this story is also cool because it's a really good representation of our relationship with God, with the king. David, in this story, highlights some pretty amazing characteristics of God, but we're a lot like Mephibosheth. Sometimes we feel crippled. Sometimes we don't have a lot left to give. And I think my favorite part of this story is that David kept true to his promise, but he didn't just show him kindness. I think David went above and beyond. Kindness would have looked a lot like, hey, you should come over for supper sometime. But instead, sacrificial love said, there will always be a seat for you at my table. You'll eat like one of my sons. Kindness would have been, hey, we'd love to pay for an all-expenses trip for you to come see your grandfather's land. Come on down. We'll take care of you for a couple nights, and then you can go back to your little place of nothing. But sacrificial love said, it's yours. I'm going to give it all back. Your grandfather's land is yours, and you know what? You can't tend to it so we'll make sure it gets tended to. That's sacrificial love. I think this is a lot like what God has done for us. When we feel like we don't have anything left to give, when we feel like we're as good as crippled in both feet, God takes that time to remind us that there's room for us at his table. There's a spot that was made just for us. When we feel like we have nothing left to give, God reminds us in these times that there's nothing that we have done or could do to earn his grace and love, but it's there anyways. 
I think King David really did a really great job of showing Mephibosheth what the heart of the father looks like. So, it's a new year. It's a fresh start. A new beginning for everyone. And I think that often it's tricky for us to navigate new years because it's hard to become the best version of ourselves when we don't really know who we are. I think it's harder for us to be the best version of ourselves when we don't comprehend whose we are, when we don't realize that we have a seat at the king's table. The truth is, we're all a little bit like Mephibosheth. Some of us feel crippled by circumstances or situations that we are facing or that we have faced this past year. And maybe like Mephibosheth and Lodavar, you might feel a little bit neglected or forgotten. But the truth is, is that there's room for you at the table. I'm going to say it over and over again because I want you to know that there's room for you at the king's table. And just like Mephibosheth, it's not just a spot to have a meal. There's a meal. There will always be a meal. But it's also a promise of provision and protection over your life. It's a reminder that you belong that there's a spot for you. This week, a friend of mine reminded me of this parable that's found in the New Testament, and it's called the parable of the wedding feast. And this parable was used to explain to the Jews that it wasn't just them that were invited to the kingdom of God, but actually everybody was. And it was actually also reminding them that just because you're invited doesn't mean that you just like get there. There's action that's required. Think about it. If you get an invitation to a text about a meal or a dinner or a party or an invitation for a wedding in the mail, you don't just like show up the day of the meal magically and just sit at your spot. You have to actually plan. You have to set the time aside. You have to show up. You have to participate in the dinner to be there. I think that this is an important caveat to these truths that I want you to know tonight because there is a little bit of action that's required of us. We have to show up. We have to take a seat. We have to participate in relationship to really get the most out of the table, to get the most out of the kingdom of God. So my prayer for you this year is that you would begin to fully understand the reality that you have a seat at the king's table. Not that you would just know it, but that you would actually walk in it that you would live in it, that you would realize that there's a promise there for you. And on the days where you feel crippled, where you feel like you have nothing to offer, when you feel like you're lame in both feet, that you would be reminded that it's not about what you do, but about who you are. It's not about what you do, but it's about whose you are that gives you a spot at the king's table. So my question is, now we know that the table has space for us, that there's room for us at the king's table. But will you sit down? Will you sit at your spot at the table? Why don't you stand? We're going to worship together, but let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a kind father. God, that you've made room for us. God, because you know us. You love us. You created us. God, that you have a unique plan and purpose. There's some of us who have been sitting at the table for a while, but we forget. We forget what it means. We forget that our spot is worth something. We forget 
about the honor that it is to be sitting at the king's table. And there's other, others in this room, God, that they've never taken a seat. They've watched the table from afar. They've admired it and appreciated it, but they've never made the step to sit down. God, we love you, and we thank you for the honor and privilege that it is to have a seat at your table. In your name, amen.